morning, after those, um, yeah, the news, I wasn't sure which language I should come up here and speak. I've decided to do my best with English right now, uh, but just so that you know who I am. I do originate from Cornwall, but I haven't lived down there for a very, very long time. I have an Italian husband, I have a French mother-in-law, I have three children that were born in Austria, and I have a Persian son-in-law. So does that make me international enough to be here today? <laughs> It's a joy to be here. Thank you, pastors, for uh, this opportunity. I love local church. And to come here and feel like home from home and to, to, to be here and realize you've got a leader who knows God but knows how to translate the spirituality that comes from heaven into a language and a feel that is so touchable and relatable to today, I hope you're truly thankful. You're living in a privilege that many people in our world, here in England, but where I'm at home in mainland Europe, don't have that opportunity. Where I come from, people will travel an hour or an hour and a half to get to this kind of church. Not because they're, they particularly like that church, it's because there's no other church they can go to and experience Jesus. And so I just want to say, appreciate, grasp hold of, love and honor what, where God has planted you. It's an absolute privilege in our day and age to to be surrounded by people, to be in a house with leadership who understand God, who live close to him, but are translating that into a language where next week you can bring your friends or this week to Alpha because you know it's just going to, they're going to they're gonna love it and they're going to understand it. And they're going to take something with them which is going to bless them in their week. So I'm sold out to local church. With my husband, we're church planters in Austria, so normally I speak German. But let me just take you a little bit on my story. I've got three parts to my, my, my talk this morning. I'm going to give you a little bit of background information about my story. I think it might inspire some of you. I'm believing for that, particularly for younger people, but not only. And then I'm going to tell you a little bit about Austria. Why on earth do missionaries need to go to Austria? You go there to ski and have beautiful holidays by the lake, don't you? <laughs> why does it need missionaries? Well, I'm going to tell you why, and I'm going to tell you why we need your help in Austria real soon. And then I'm going to inspire you, I believe, with a couple of stories from the Bible. And the heading of the whole of this is the power in your yes. <laughs> the power in your yes. It's not a once-off yes. It's a, a yes that we keep with every little nudge that comes from heaven. We say yes, and we, we unleash a chain reaction for the miracles that we've sung about. And it starts always with our little yes to the nudge. And that's how it started for me. So I'm a farmer's daughter from just down the road at Launceston. I grew up there. I loved it. Rode my horse with my dad out on the big farm almost every day. I gave my life to Jesus when I was just 10, and I really meant it. 
in a little Methodist chapel. I was the only child in the room, uh, bonfire night in November, hundreds of years ago. But it was very real. I went and told my schoolmaster the next morning that I'd given my life to Jesus. And from then on, every Friday, I took assembly. My granddad helped me. I just wanted those kids just to have the opportunity to know Jesus how I knew I'd met Jesus. I seriously thought I was going to spend all my life in Cornwall. I loved the country life. I didn't enjoy school, left school at 16, started working for, in a bank in my hometown of Launceston, loving my evenings and weekends on the farm. And yes, I just happened to meet a nice young Cornish farmer who was a Christian and a family friend, and it seemed all set for me to fulfill my dream of becoming a farmer's wife by the time I was 18 and a half. But... Just before that, I decided to go on a mission trip. And on the list, there was Austria, and I decided if that's where the mountains are, that I've seen the skiing on the TV, that's where I'll go, please. And so I went, a massive step for me. I'd never had a passport before, I'd never seen London. Hey, when you're on a family farm, you work hard and don't have too much free time. I went to Austria promised my boyfriend I'll be back. That was September, 18th birthday, December, engagement as planned for the wedding next year to move in to the big farm that had been bought for us. I came back from this little country of Austria. I'd seen the beauty. I'd heard the church bells from the Catholic church ringing out along the valleys. But I came back realizing there are hardly any free churches, Pentecostal churches, people who really believe in Jesus. Well, it wasn't the facts that hit me. I did what my granddad told me to do. My granddad, a little guy, a wonderful little gardener, man of God, he said, Angela, before you go to bed at night, kneel beside your bed and talk to Jesus. I'd been doing it since I was 10. I came back from Austria, was on my knees beside my bed and having to pray for the missionaries in Austria, having to pray for the couple of young people I'd met there in this little church. And within days, I was sensing God say to me, Angela, do more for Austria. So I said, I'm going to keep praying. I said, what about the missionaries? I said, well, you know what? I'll commit to supporting them financially every month. I knew that's what they needed. And I said, when I get married next summer, I'll up it 10 times. So it was pretty generous to start with, but I said, oh, I'll up it 10 times next summer. Within six weeks of being back from that first ever trip abroad, I, I hadn't learned a foreign language at school. I was very shy, very naive, loving the country, but not streetwise in many other ways. I heard, though, a strong impression from heaven. Now, I don't want to say I heard an audible voice. It wasn't that. But it was a, a, a heaven's nudge so deep in my heart and so real. And it was, Angela, I want more than your prayers. I want more than your money for the missionaries. I want you in Austria. Like, you got the wrong address. That is just not possible. Do you know who I am? I can drive a tractor. I can milk cows. I can deliver lamb. You know, being the midwife bit. I said, I can do... But me and Austin? No, 
No, and my future's planned and everyone thinks it's, it's amazing, including me. But you know, this voice, this nudging didn't stop until about a week later. I thought I'd got a plan and it was, if I say to God, if you can do anything with me in Austria, you can have me, I thought the plan would be good because he couldn't do anything with me in Austria, so he'd probably leave me in peace. Well, having lived in Austria now for 33 years, the last 21 in the capital city of Vienna, God didn't jump to my plan. I said, if you can do anything with me in Austria, you can have me. I felt him say, Angela, I'm taking you. And with that, I don't know what happened with inside, of, inside of me. I'm still quite an introvert person today. I still love peace and quiet and the country. But a faith arose in my heart and an incredible determination. You could call it stubbornness. Many people have. But it's what caused me back then as a 17, almost 18-year-old to finish a four-year-long relationship with someone I thought I was spending my future with, to face him, his parents, my parents, and everyone in my world with, I think heaven has spoken, I think God has called, I think Austria is my future. Now then, for two years, I wasn't able to go anywhere apart to Austria on all holidays because Austria was not part of the European community so I couldn't move I told my bank manager my boss I said I'm going to be off soon I'm not staying here two years I went nowhere and then as a 19 year old um, and again I want to say to you here I hope you appreciate the rich heritage that you're planted into here in this church and uh, I, I didn't grow up with that, but I got to know the Assemblies of God. That is the, the denomination that this, this church here is part of. Um, uh, and I was invited to, to, to go for an interview in front of their missions committee years ago. So it wasn't very easy going. It was all pretty, pretty serious, like 12 older men in suits and ties. <laughs> And I just told them the story of my call. And I said, I really do feel I'm ready to give my life for that nation. And you must know, I'm excited that you're going to be praying and fasting. I love praying and fasting. From the day God called me, every Wednesday was my fasting day. And I'd go to work and I, 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 it was just, and I did it for years. And I met God in so many real ways. And every Wednesday, he'd talk to me about Austria. And my faith would just grow. And it's like he would say, Angela, the nation is yours. And I would say thank you every time. And I'd just take it. And so the Assemblies of God saw this 19-year-old young lady working at Barclays Bank in Launceston with very few other skills to offer and said, if you study theology, if you go to Bible school, we will back you after it to go to Austria. Well, two years had run by. My parents had come to terms with this whole idea. My ex-boyfriend was less coming to terms with it. So when I left, 
the evening before I left, my parents drove me to the uh, International Bible Training Institute close to Brighton. There was someone standing at the door again to try and talk me into remaining, but I had to go. And so I was at Bible school. I loved it. I loved it also because I knew at the end of it, I'm going, stepping further into my dream. Now then, I wasn't at Bible school looking for a husband. Believe me. I had just managed to free myself up from ties that were, were, were trying to hold me back. And so when this elegant, romantic, wonderful Italian crossed my paths and uh, made me aware of all the emotions that were going on within him, I said, well, that is wonderful, but you do know I'm going to Austria, don't you? So I said, I come in double pack. It's Angela and Austria. So otherwise forget Angela. Well, if Johnny tells his story, he says that is, was his call to the nation of Austria. And it's a, 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 just the hand of God was on our lives. I know it doesn't happen that way with everyone, but we just knew we were called to be together to go to Austria. Now then, we were very young. We married down in the Waybridge Assemblies of God Church, in 1985, we were both just 21, and we left for Austria with a little car and a little caravan, which was our first ever home in the summer of 1986. That's a long time ago. And we left to step into mission life in Central Europe. How come Central Europe needs missionaries? Well, Austria, you probably know as the sound of music country. The hills are alive, beautiful country. But you know, back then, 35 years ago, we had uh, statistics that told us there were possibly 2,000 believers in the whole nation. Nine million population, 2,000 believers. You've got more than that here in Exeter. We realized we were walking into a nation that was untouched by the good news of Jesus. Many missionaries had lived in our capital city, Vienna, as they reached into Eastern Europe for many, many decades, very successfully. The Reformation, which in history had really affected southern Germany and Switzerland, which are our neighbors, some of our neighbors, um, was very very real, but untouched in Austria. The Catholic Church had just driven it back. And so we knew we were going into a country that was economically stable, that was beautiful, um, had one of the highest suicide rates in Europe, hopelessness, smallness of thinking, and dominated by a religion which at that time was offering very little hope and no flow of life from heaven into people's lives. And so on one side, we were in virgin territory. It was like, choose any place. You're not going to be stepping on anybody's toes. And that is literally what we did. So we had to learn to speak German, first of all. Now, that's a challenge of its own. But where there's a will, there's a way, even if it means lots of tears on the way. 
which it did for me. I found that incredibly difficult. My husband has got a number of languages on board beforehand, and so, and he's a musician, so he hears the sounds and just repeats it, and just, if it all goes pear-shaped, laughs at himself when he's part of the party. I, I don't work that way. So learning a foreign language was quite a challenge. But we started off by serving people that were there, serving this missionary family, serving others that were doing their best in a church plant situation. You must think, we'd been in the country three years and we had not seen anyone lead anyone to faith in Jesus. So people who were speaking German, who were used to the country, who were just wasn't happening. And then we were expecting our, our first child, then I was 25, and we sensed God again nudge us and say, it's time for you to step out now and just you two prove me and I'll prove you. Choose any town, move into it, and start leading people to Jesus. Well, wonderful, with the backdrop of three years with experienced people having seen no one lead anyone to Jesus was like, that's crazy. But we said yes. So my husband went out, visited a few towns, came back telling me he'd found the place, a little industrial town out in the mountains. said, I've even found an apartment, the eighth floor of a block. I come from a beautiful farmhouse in Cornwall. So here I was expecting our first child and knew I was going to be raising the family on the eighth floor of a block. Well, we moved in there. When I was in hospital, just giving birth to Esther Grace, our daughter who's now 31, God fulfilled his promise that he'd made a couple of weeks before. I wanted to come back to Cornwall to have my baby because I knew I wasn't going to get any visitors in the hospital apart from my hubby, and I wasn't going to understand too much that was being said. But I sensed again a nudge from heaven to which I said yes, and it was, Angela, I promise you if you go into this town and see natural birth, I promise you spiritual birth. Stayed in Leobans, Esther was seven days old, Johnny was in another city helping lead worship in another church plant attempt with someone else. The first person came to him that we ever met in that town. She said, I just came to Jesus a couple of weeks ago in the Catholic renewal. Can I come visit you when I'm back in Leoben? She came a week later. We met her. We got to know her. We somehow got talking about water baptism. She was so eager and so keen. She was the first person we baptized in our bathtub. <laughs> it was winter, the lakes were frozen. She really wanted to make this step. She said, I'm only little, you've got a bathtub, haven't you? And we said, yes. She led us then to meet her parents, who in the next two years came through to faith. She introduced us to one business lady in, the, in uh, the city who she thought was open. We led her to faith about two years later. And our first church was born in the eight-floor apartment in our living room with one person, 
then two, then three, then four, and that's how it continued. Now then, that was 31 years ago. We then took, uh, rented a, a hotel room for Sunday afternoon. Sometimes people would come. Sometimes one time we went and did church and nobody came. It's part of mission life too. And so in this nation, which 35 years ago was posted in the Christian Herald here in England on a double central page as the graveyard of the missionaries, we were amazed to see that one person after the other, we were introducing them to Jesus and they were grasping it. Then this business lady's oldest son, he was a rock musician, came and spent hours talking with us gave his life to Jesus and his brother. They're two of our pastors today. So I've got to jump forward along, make a big, big leap, and say in this little Central European country, maybe you could put up the map for me now, please, of Austria. This is Austria surrounded by lots of nations. And all those dots that are showing there is where we have, in the last 30 years, planted churches. Now then, we don't have anything such as transfer growth, because we don't have churches from which people can transfer to when they're already believers. So, we started in, in the central area, pretty much central, and then two friends of someone, one of the first converts, was living in a town down in the south. And we used to have then cassettes, you know, you probably don't know what that is, but it was a recording of our preaching, which was, yeah, interesting in itself, because it was my husband preaching in broken German, but we would record it, and our people would send it to their families around the nation, because they were so excited that they'd discovered Jesus. They were so excited of who it was and what it was. And then we were getting calls from other places. Would you come? There's three of us. We've all listened to 10 of your cassettes. Please come and tell us how we can make church. So we were in this little place traveling to two, two hours away in another little place with three people. Once they'd grown to 10 and we'd grown to 15, we'd got three other people in another town wanting to hear. So we would take a car load from each of these two places and on a Sunday evening travel there to do church. So we don't start church, you know, when you've got a team of 30. No, if we've got three, we're ready to go. And so we have now started 15 churches, all of which are pastored and led by men or women who we led to faith, we've discipled, that means just spent lots of time with and walk with and taught them how to read the Bible and pray, experience God, and we've trained them up. We now have a leadership academy, we now have a, an established form, one weekend a month for 10 months, and then the second year again. We've even, in just seven years ago, which is a massive step, we were uh, seen as a cult and a sect. 
We've even been recognized together with some of the other free churches as a recognized religion in Austria. And so the day, time is changing. I mean, the whole of Europe, which is so secularized, we are, folk are so bright. I mean, they're, to be academic, to have studied, to have degrees, to, that's what it's about in our part of the world. But yet they're empty within, and when you introduce them to Jesus, they grasp hold of life with Jesus, and it just becomes their source of life and hope and reality. And it works. It really does, whether it's the academics in Vienna or the farmers out in the mountains. You know, we, we led a farming couple to, to Christ, and they decided that when their cows were sick, before you call the vet, you pray, don't you? Well, I, I hadn't, I'll be honest, we didn't pray for our cows down in Cornwall. <laughs> but they did, and they saw the most incredible miracles. Cows being healed. It was like, yeah, but that's what you do, isn't it? If the Bible's true, then it's got to work. So that is the gospel that we've brought to Austria. That is the incredible privilege that my husband and I have. We've ha had then three children. Can I just have the family photo up, please, just so you know? This was this past Christmas. Myself, my great Italian husband with the French mum. This is our daughter, Esther, in the middle. Her husband, who's the Persian, is unfortunately not on this photo. He spent Christmas in hospital. But this is their little daughter, and number two is on the way this summer. So I'm grandma. Isn't that amazing? This is my mother-in-law, who lives with us now, moved up from Italy when my father-in-law died. And the two good-looking boys at the back, they're my sons. And Matthias and Thomas, thank you. So, um, yeah, all German-speaking, all went to school over there doing life well. My daughter and son-in-law live in Frankfurt at the moment. Um, so, life is good. Where am I, I at now? Why am I here telling you about Austria? Well, we would love you to be praying for us. I'll let you into a secret. My husband and I are both 56, and it's that time of life where it's, really time to just settle down and particularly when you've had an adventurous life like we have just to enjoy the security of we went to Austria as missionaries fully supported financially well no never fully supported but living on finances from Great Britain which we let dwindle as as churches began to be established, little groups where our finances came from, from then Austria. And 20 years ago, we moved into the capital city, was about church plant number six, where again, with nothing, we've just started a church where we now are senior leaders of a church of about 230 people. And uh, so obviously, this time in life is a time for settling down and just being thankful for what we've achieved and thinking, well, 15 churches, maybe another five, and that would be great. Well, that's not quite how we're thinking. We're thinking we've got one good chapter still ahead of us. 
We've got a little nation that God promised me when I was 17, we'd influence, he'd give me the nation. We're not influencing the whole nation yet. We're involved in politics. We've planted three Christian schools and nurseries. Uh, We've got lots of social projects going. We teach and train our people that the kingdom of God is not just in the church, but it's out there. But it's like, if we're going to influence this nation, we've got 64 more churches to plant. That means we've got all of our towns covered, lots of little towns in rural areas, 64 churches more to plant, we can probably still do that in our lifetime if we make some shifts. And so we've made some shifts, my husband and I, one of them being we've put in a lovely young lady as a pastor in the, in the Vienna church. We're still senior leaders. And my husband and I are not settling down in the security of what we've built, but we're saying five church plants a year, and we can do this. And that's why I'm back in England asking a lot of churches and a lot of individuals, would you consider starting to pray again, or maybe for the first time for Austria? This little country, which is on the edge of something, we're we're at a pivotal point, and it is doable because we've just got things in place and we've got a lot of young Austrians who are just ready to go for it. They just need us to walk with them. So my husband and I are freeing ourselves up from hands-on pastoral care in a local church, still leading it, still modeling something, but to go out and start church planting again with a whole army of young people to influence our nation. It does mean that I've also given up my salary. Mm. This stage in life, that's an interesting step. But hey, God's been faithful till now, so he will be in the future. And so I've got some info cards. I can give you some details. Individuals, as a church, wherever, however, possibilities to get behind us, praying, giving, being informed and just being part of something in Central Europe which is going over the borders of Austria. So that's where we're at. And now, eight minutes of inspiration continued for you. The power of yes. The power of yes means recognizing what you've got in your hand and saying yes to give it. Let me read you a story from 1 Kings 17. One Kings 17 from verse seven to verse 24. Sometime later, the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, to Elijah. Go at once to Zarephath, to the region of Sidon, and stay there. I've directed a widow there to supply you with food. God directed the widow there. When, um, so he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? 
As she was going to get it, he called and bring me, please, a piece of bread. I'm reading from the New International Version. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread. Only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid, go home and do as you've said, but first make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, the jar of flour will not be used up, the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. So she went away and did as the Lord, as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and for her family. For the jar of oil was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. Sometime later, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. He grew worse and worse and finally stopped breathing. She said to Elijah, what do you have against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? Give me your son, Elijah replied. He took him from her arms, carried him to the upper room where he was staying and laid him on the bed. Then he cried out to the Lord, Lord, my God, have you brought tragedy even on this widow I'm staying with by causing her son to die? Then he stretched himself out on the boy three times and cried out to the Lord, Lord, my God, let this boy's life return to him. The Lord heard Elijah's cry, and the boy's life returned to him, and he lived. There is chain reactions to your response, and your yes unleashes the power of God in ways that we cannot logically understand, but it happens again and again. And interestingly enough, God has things that are preordained. He had appointed this widow in her need to be the answer for the prophet. I would never have believed when I was growing up in Cornwall and many years after, sometimes even now, I would never believe that God would choose to use me to do that which I'm doing today. But he has preordained it. That is his plan. But it takes, it is necessary for a simple yes. And so here we have Elijah the prophet coming. Verse 15, after the prophet had spoken to her, go and make me some bread first. I mean, he was a pretty cheeky guy. I mean, that is not polite. That is not Devonshire politeness. It's like, make sure you and your boy have something, and if there's some left over, I'd love a bite too. No, 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 you go and make for me first. And she said yes. Well, she didn't say yes, she did yes. <laughs> Saying yes can sometimes be the easy bit. Doing yes and continuing to do yes, and standing to our yes, 
in the face of opposition, in the face of no one else understanding, in the face of need, dire need, doing yes, she went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and for her family. Yes takes words and actions. But do you know, a yes in word and action is a journey of continued fulfillment. I'm not going to say always joy. There are many moments of joy. There are some moments of despair. But the general feeling will be such a sense of fulfillment. Do I miss my family? Yes, I do. I still do. Christmas and my birthday in December without my wider family is still not easy after 33 years. My mum is going to be 80 on Tuesday. That's one reason I'm here right now. Do you know, I, I'm, I, I, I miss spending time with my family. It's been tough for my kids growing up without cousins and uncles and aunties. There's a cost involved in saying yes, often. But there's also a sense of fulfillment and joy. People say to me sometimes, Angela, how is life as a missionary? I said, Do you know what? I live my dream. On my knees beside my bed in the farmhouse at 17, I dreamt of a nation without God that was going to get to know God. Hey, I'm living the dream. We're just about to establish a Christian university in, in Vienna. The first ever Christian university in that nation. We are, we are launching projects. Today is the right this afternoon back home in Vienna is the first day, first meeting of the Life Church political community. Say, Angela, you plant churches. Yes, we plant churches and we bring the kingdom of God into every sphere of society. We have now gathered enough people who are so geared up and fired up to be a, become a political voice. We're netting them together and it's the life church political community. Whether it's entertainment, whether it's music, whatever, my own son is a model. We preach that in every sphere of society, the kingdom of God needs to come. I wanted other mums' sons to move into modeling and fashion, not my son. Who wants their son in that world? Oh, yes. That's where the kingdom of God, a yes the joy and fulfillment of being part of the bigger picture. I don't know how big or how small your life feels. You might have disabilities. You might not, not be able to get out and be so active as, as maybe some others that you see around you. Maybe your age has, has brought you to a place where you say, well, life's quite small these days. No, it's not. The fact that you're here, you are plugged right in to something that is so big. 
You're plugged into a past of rich heritage that got us as Assemblies of God missionaries to Austria 33 years ago and has kept us there by many of your prayers and the prayers of many in this nation. You're plugged into something that has a scope and a breadth and a depth and a length. Your world is not small. Say, Angela, I don't have too much in my hand. Precious older ladies and precious older men, if you can still somehow vocalize a prayer, you are moving things in this world. If you can be praying for me and my husband and our mission, occasionally from now on, your world is not small. Your world is touching Austria, Central Europe, where humanism, secularism, and the, the fear of Islamization is real, you are making a difference. What's in your hand? What have you got to help build church here? Who can you love on? Who can you say hi to often when you're in the shops with your smile and, and, and appreciation and value life? What do you have in your hand? This lady was in need. All she had was a handful of flour and a little oil. She was, saw miracle after miracle, day after day, food for herself, her son and the prophet. You are the hope for Exeter. In your hand, in your prayers, in your giving, of your time, of your talent, of your finances, of your energy, of your thinking power. You are building into this church, building into your community, something that is gonna be, have a chain effect for miracles in people's lives. We have something in our hand to give, even if it feels like in our own need and desperation. What is in your hand? To what can you say yes? How can the miracle begin? A personal miracle for this lady. And then the real need came. Her son died. But because she'd said yes to the prophet and given out of her need, when tragedy hit, God was there. She had positioned herself to see a big miracle, a big personal breakthrough. Wonderful people here in Exeter, and I close with this. Today, I would just like to pray and just help each of us just to say yes. To reposition, again, your life is gonna have a different course than mine's had. I go back to Austria soon and gonna keep planting churches and reaching beautiful Austrian people. And you're here in beautiful Exeter, but your yes, young person, middle-aged person, older person, life is not over, you're not too old, you're not too young, you're just right, because if you've got a hand, you've got something in it. So would you like to give that to Jesus again today? Say, what is in my hand? I say yes. So 
that I just ask us all to stand and I'm just going to pray. Faithful Father, we love you. We are here because of your love. But I thank you, Father, you've given each of us the ability to say yes. And so we are here now before you, bringing heaven to earth, the natural and the supernatural together with our simple response of the little that I have in my hand or the match, I will say and do yes. Bringing it to you, giving it to you, honoring you with it on the heritage and history of our past to project hope into our future, individually but together, as a church, as a family, here in this beautiful city. Build your kingdom, Lord. May your will be done in our lives and through our lives. And I speak out a repositioning of everyone in this place. A repositioning out of resignation, stepping out of resignation, stepping out of disappointment, stepping out of fear, stepping out of procrastination, stepping out of everything that's that would try and hold us back, we're saying yes. Yes to honor you. Yes to live for you. Yes to pray again. Yes to prophesy again. Yes to give again in our church and in our world mission. Yes to go where you lead us for your honor. Amen. 